Hey, welcome to Female Founder World. I'm your host, Jasmine Garnsworthy, and today's conversation is with Michelle, who the founder of Etoile Collective. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Garnsworthy. Michelle, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Hey, Jasmine. Thanks for having me on. I want to kick off by inviting you just to tell folks who aren't familiar with your business, what are you guys building over at Etoile Collective? Absolutely. So we are an Australian brand. Um, Etoile Collective is a place for beauty consumers and beauty professionals to find all the tools that they need to essentially thrive in their beauty environment. So our product range includes travel cases, makeup organizers, lighting equipment. Um, We do furniture as well. Um, What am I missing? Oh, and vanity mirrors. So if you are the type of person getting ready on the floor with really bad lighting, which I was back in 2016, then we want you to think of a 12. If you are a professional makeup artist and you need a way to better organize your kit or you want different, you know, travel options or you want a travel light or a makeup chair, then we want you to think of a 12. So we're building for any type of beauty consumer. You don't have to be like a hardcore makeup lover. If you're someone that goes for the no makeup, makeup look, um, then we want a 12 to still exist in your mind. Yeah, you're definitely, I feel like now people are like, oh, I can just go on Amazon or go to Target and get a makeup organizer. But yours are truly just like such a better quality. You can change, adjust the sizes. Like it's really customizable to whatever products you have. Um, You've definitely created something that I think people love. And that speaks to your early success, which we're going to chat about in just a second. But take me back to the really early days. I know you were working in finance. What were you seeing back in 2016 in your life, in the beauty industry that made you think, hey, like I want to start a business like this? What happened? Yeah. So Etoile actually started prior to me starting as a grad in finance. And I, I mean, I fell into the makeup and beauty world from such a young age. I remember when I was like, five or six, you know, my parents would be like rubbing watermelon on my skin because they promised really glowy, dewy skin. So my parents love skincare. And then when I hit like young teen, no, actually I was probably in primary school where I was like the only Asian kid in my primary school. And I just became like really self-conscious with like my facial features and like wanted to look like everyone else. So I remember heading home one day and finding YouTube and finding Michelle Fan, who is very well known for like transforming herself into looking like Kim Kardashian or whoever else. And I was like, oh my goodness, I want to dabble in like makeup and play with eyeliner and concealer and all of that. Um, so that's where I fell into makeup. And I was definitely younger than all of my peers. I remember wearing eyeliner to school one day in like year seven. And my friends were like, what is on your face? And then yeah, fast forward like 10 years, I just had accumulated so much makeup. And I remember getting ready for work one day and it was just such a chaotic experience. Um, like I mentioned, I was on the floor. I was using like my chest of drawers that were mirrored as my main main mirror. And yeah, for lack of a better word, it was just a really shitty experience. And like, I wanted to wake up in the morning and go to like a beautiful space where everything was organized and just made me feel really good after getting ready. So I went on to like Pinterest for inspiration, found a bunch of like really beautiful spaces and wanted to um, kind of recreate that for myself, but couldn't find any of the products in Australia. 
Mm, okay. So you're looking online, you're thinking, okay, there's a solution to this, but I don't have access to it. How did you go about make, solving that for yourself? So fortunately, my dad works half the year in Asia and I knew he you know, could have access to like supplies or people who could like create exactly what I wanted. So I sent him a bunch of photos. I told him the changes that I wanted um, so that it fit my beauty collection. And then we just had like one product made. My dad shipped it back. I organized my whole space and I just felt so good. I don't know. I remember like telling my friends being like, look at my, my new space and just remember feeling so different when getting ready. And then I think it was a few weeks after that, that I was like, my friends want this. They have equally chaotic spaces. You know, let's just do this for fun and and see, you know, what can come out of it. There's nothing quite like organizing your skincare to make you feel like you've got your shit together. Like I know. <laughs> everything else, like you can't control it. It's like, I can line up my serums. I can put them in, like, you know, I can exactly. control this one tiny thing. So I, I get that. And I feel like, you know, now when I look at your TikTok, TikTok and Instagram content, that's the feeling I get. Even if I'm not organizing my own things, I'm scrolling through, you know, these videos of your makeup cases and things being organized. And I just feel that instant, almost like relief of, mm. oh, okay, there is some order <laughs> in this world. Like that's definitely the feeling that you get. Okay. Let's talk about going from kind of a side hustle into the business that you've built today, which is across multiple countries. You are uh, doing sizable amounts of revenue. If you want to share any milestones, please do. And I want to talk about like how that switch happened. Were you in the early days, were you intentionally like driving growth in the business? Was it mostly inbound? Like what, do you just think it was the product was a magnet or were you going out there and finding customers? So this was back in 2017, 2018. Um, That was our first and second year of business. And I mean, on the one side, you had my day job, which was in investment banking, which I absolutely did not enjoy. And I don't think I saw myself there long-term. So I think subconsciously, I was always looking for something else to do, thinking of like where I would go from there. Don't get me wrong, investment banking is a great springboard. um, And I feel very lucky to have started my career there. But yeah, day to day, I would work and then I would spend maybe an hour or two working on the business, posting content on social media and doing everything um, organically. So we didn't have like any paid ads or, or anything like that. But I think we were in the backdrop of a social media landscape where competition was nowhere near as like rough as it is now. People also love seeing vanity inspiration and they love tagging their friends in these products, just saying like, oh my God, look at this, or I need this in my life, or where has this been? And so it was just a slow, gradual build up. And then I think two years later, we did hit this arbitrary number that I had in my mind because I just never thought that we could get to $20,000 in revenue a month completely organically. And so when we did that, I think it just opened up my mind to thinking about what a twelve could become because prior to that, I just never thought that it could be what I think it could be now. And I didn't think a space, I didn't think there was a space for a twelve to exist but then, yeah, when we hit twenty thousand dollars, I was like, "Oh, maybe you know, maybe we maybe we can carve out a, a niche in the in the beauty industry." You know, a lot of the founders that I speak to uh, come to this with some kind of like milestone, something that they think 
even if it's just something that they've conjured in their mind, it's not necessarily that they've budgeted something or (laughs) have, you know, taken it from like another founder. It's literally they're like, if we can hit this milestone, then I'll go full time. Then I know that this will work. And that's something that's really common across a lot of different founders stories. So you're definitely not alone in that. Okay. What were the steps that you took when you, you hit that $20,000 a month revenue milestone? And then you're thinking, okay, I want to ramp this up. First of all, how did you even know what to do at this point? And what were some of those first steps that you took to scale the business? So it was actually funny after banking, I, I knew I loved working on a 12, but I was still a little bit risk adverse. So I actually reached out to a VC in Australia called Blackbird and just asked whether I could intern there for a few weeks and see what that was like before going completely full-time to see whether just there was something else out there for me. And so I was in touch with a partner there by the name of Nick Crocker and he carved out this little internship for me where I would spend a day there a week just to see what it would be like in, in that world. And at the end of the 12 weeks, he said to me, Michelle, you seem like much more of an operator than an investor go spend a hundred, you know, go full time in a 12, see how you go. And if it doesn't work out, then let's have a conversation. But I think you, you just seem like, you seem like you should go down that path. And so I, Great think, advice. That, I think that gave me the confidence that I needed to go hundred percent full time. Cause I was a little mm. bit nervous. Also, how old were you at the time? I feel like this needs to be in the conversation as well. Like you were in your early twenties, right? I think I would have been, 22. 22 yeah, exactly. So of course you've like, you're at that stage, like lacking some confidence and feeling like you need somebody to, you yeah. know, give you that nudge. You're 22 years old. Absolutely. And this needs to be mentioned. You're doing all of this at 22. Yeah. Nick gave me the little nudge that I needed. So very, yeah. very grateful for him. Um, and then from there, I knew that like digital marketing, paid ads was a super strong channel. So that was the first thing that we looked at. We got a freelancer to help us and we started, I think our budget was like 50 to a hundred dollars a day. Obviously this was in a, I think this was in 2019. So very, very different landscape to, to what it is now. And then we just tried to switch on as much as we could, um, keeping in mind that we were completely bootstrapped, which made things very difficult. Um, but we looked at like SEO, we looked at, we actually took a bit of a leap and invested $60,000 into recreating our website. So at the time we were a very bland, very, very scrappy website. Like our product photos were me taking the photo of my iPhone with a white backdrop, sending it somewhere to get the... What, like I, the iPhone 7 or something? You know what I mean? Like this is not the iPhone that we have now. It was so horrendous. Like if you go on a time capsule website and can find our old website, it's honestly laughable. So, yeah, we invested in a completely new look, new website. And then I think not long after that, we did PR as well. Awesome. Okay. So I want to understand how you were bridging the gaps in knowledge between somebody who's come from investment banking, you're 22, you don't necessarily have operating experience. Is it just learning on the go, learning on the fly? Were there any resources that you were picking up along the way that you think have helped you as you've grown? I think it was a lot of learning on the fly. I think I have a sort of entrepreneurial mindset built into me from my parents you know, they're very entrepreneurial in their own right. And I think even like when I was younger, there are traces of that same skill set 
being adapted to like just different things that I was doing. So mm. even like I remember fi- I remember finding a platform called Invu, which is similar to Sims, where you have an avatar, you have an internal currency and you, you know, design clothes or you just design templates, you can sell them. And I love doing that so much. And I can draw a lot of parallels between like what I did in Invu and kind of what I do with a twelve. Oh my God, it's a millennial lemonade stand. That... Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Something that we were chatting about before we hit record was SEO and how you think SEO has been a really big part of um, growing a twelve. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I have some understanding of coming to it from an editorial background as a digital publisher. Obviously, SEO is the bread and butter of what you're doing, um, but you're not converting on that content. So I'm really interested in what's working for you in SEO, like maybe some recent challenges that you've had that you can give insight and advice about um, and just generally, yeah, what's working? Yeah. So we've been working with an SEO freelancer for a couple of years now and I cannot like emphasize enough how important SEO is, especially when we launch in the US and having to manage those those two sites and having very Mm. similar content. It's been so crucial. I mean, at the very beginning, I thought SEO was all about just like backlinks and trying to get as many backlinks as possible. But Brody, our freelancer, you know, he's helped us with strategically placing keywords on the site. He's helped us with a recent challenge that we had actually was we noticed that one of our competitors' rankings on Google would also come with accompanying product images, which obviously would boost your click-through rate. And for some reason, ours just weren't showing up. And so he did a bunch of research and it turned out to be uh, something a bit technical, but like the metadata of certain images um, and the way, yeah, the way that that was built into the code. So we fixed that recently. We've seen a rise in organic rankings and also just improvement in the click-through rate of our Google rankings. So that has been super useful. And yeah, I honestly don't know how we would have launched our US site and not had all of our SEO break without Brody. Hey, it's Jasmine, and I'm jumping in here to let you know about a very, very special, short time only, all of the salesy words, community offering that we have available for Female Founder World. It is our business bestie subscriber membership. And for $9 a month, this is basically how you up level in the female founder world community. We constantly hear from founders on the show that building a network and building a community is the most powerful thing that you can do while you're on this kind of like offbeat entrepreneurial path. And our business bestie subscriber membership is the best way to do that. So it's $9 a month. You can cancel anytime. And we are only taking on new subscribers through to the end of the year. So this is a really limited time. Next year, we may relaunch and offer a similar kind of thing. The price will probably be different. But if you lock in now, you'll be locked in for that $9 a month membership. And basically, it'll give you, first of all, first dibs on all of our free events. So right now, if you try to get into an event in New York, you're probably going to be on a wait list with a few hundred other people. This will bump you right to the front and give you 48 hours 
of access to register for an event before anybody else hears about it. You'll also get access to a minimum of one live Female Founder World AMA every month. So these Ask Me Anything sessions are basically just like scaled mentorship. They're live calls with different founders and entrepreneurs who are the kind of people that you listen to on the show. They've got a really, really interesting story. They've built something super meaningful and they can answer those questions that you just can't Google. So you'll get access to those live calls every single month. You'll also get a workshop every month, which will be led by either a founder, a subject matter expert that we've handpicked, or someone on the Female Founder World team. And these are super tactical online sessions that basically teach a skill or a strategy that is really, really useful in business right now. We'll also give you access to our workshop recording library with all of the past sessions. And you'll get access to Female Founder World's digital goods library, which is where we keep templates and tools and resources. And and yes, sometimes that's us creating those for you or, for example, working with finance or accounting expert to put together a spreadsheet that you might need. But most of the time, these are tools and templates and decks that have been used by actual founders in their businesses successfully. So it might be the exact pitch deck that a founder used to raise millions of dollars, or it could be the cold email and partnership proposal that somebody put forward that landed them a huge brand collaboration. These are absolutely just hidden gems. They're so, so useful. It's something that's really hard to get access to normally, and you're guaranteed at least one new template or download every single month while you are a Business Bestie subscriber. The link is in the show notes. And I am so looking forward to seeing you and all of our Business Besties in this new program. How do you find someone like that? What's the, you know, was did this freelancer come recommended to you? Was it through an agency? Was it through another founder? Like how do you you know, source these really high caliber freelancers? Because I think for a lot of founders, their businesses are built on contractors, freelancers, agencies when they're in this kind of stage. Well, I think for SEO, I honestly just typed in like Melbourne, like top rated SEO or something. If they can get them there, they're good at it. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I thought. And so, I mean, after I found him, I did a bit of like DD had a look at his LinkedIn and could see that he was like, he'd won a bunch of awards and he held a lot of authority in the space. And then I just asked for, you know, previous clients that he's worked with um, and testimonials and he seemed like a great fit and yeah, he's been amazing ever since. Awesome. The other thing that I want to talk about is TikTok and social media. I know that you guys launched in the height of Instagram and that's kind of where you built your traction. But now that the mood's shifted and things have switched to TikTok, you're also doing really well there as well. And you just seem like someone who has a really great eye for content. What is working on TikTok for a business like yours? And what lessons do you have for other consumer brand founders and brand builders? Yeah. Oh gosh. Instagram is so challenging at the moment. We are definitely finding it hard to grow like the way we used to. So we have shifted a lot more attention and time into TikTok. And I think it is all about keeping up with trends and focusing a lot more on quantity than quality. Um, high production stuff we have found at mm. least just never works on TikTok. And it's always the stuff that takes two minutes or, you know, the very trendy sounds, 
that do extremely well and getting in early on, on those sounds. So unfortunately, that means that you do have to be on your phone a lot and you do have to be scroll, scrolling a lot. And I like to be like consciously scrolling. So yeah, like when I scroll, I really take note of like what I stop on. I take note on, you know, the videos that are doing really well, sounds that I'm constantly hearing, certain like ways of editing videos that I'm seeing a lot. Do you like take notes as you're going? Are you saving videos? Do you have like a Trello board with links? What are you, how are you ingesting that information? I think it's definitely more of like a mental note taking exercise, but I do save videos that I either want to replicate or I save sounds, or if it's something that I know, if it's a really like, if, if the video that I've just watched has given me inspiration for like another video, then that's when I'll note it down and just take like an audio clip of what I have in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, How, what do you mean you take an audio clip? Like I, I just do a um, voice memo of uh-huh. um, an idea that I think could, could work well. I find that that's a lot easier than actually writing yeah. down what I think. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. I've got a lot of notes in my phone that I just never look at again. So maybe I should be doing <laughs> audio, like audio notes to myself. <laughs> I want to know what actually happens when you go viral. I know that you, that Etoile Collective has gone viral and it was instrumental in your US launch. Can you talk us through what that video was and what the impact was? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've experienced it both ways. Back in Australia, we had a video of a vanity mirror and it was me going through like the three different lighting temperatures of the mirror. So tapping once and it's like a cool tone, a neutral tone, and then a warm tone. And that video got about 3 million views it went viral in, I think, the UK and somewhere in Asia where we don't ship the mirrors. So the video, it was extremely frustrating. The gave us a ton of traffic, great brand awareness, absolutely no sales. <laughs> um, so that oh. was a bit of a bummer. Um, but then recently in the US, we had a video go viral that literally took me two minutes to make. It was the, the girls that get it, get it trend. And it was me slapping a makeup bag out of the way and then turning the camera to our makeup bag and then also popping products into the bag. And overnight, I think that went viral in the US. At the time, we hadn't launched our US store yet, but we did have a website. It was password protected. And I noticed in the morning we had about 15,000 people through to that US website. I think at the time... That was still password protected, so they couldn't see anything. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh. Which was a, yeah, a huge shame because obviously some people leave their email addresses, but we would have lost a lot of customers as well. Yeah. And the top comment on the video was, when is this launching in the US? Um, I think at this time it hit maybe like a couple hundred thousand views. So immediately after that, I was like, I have to take the password off. There are still certain things in the website that don't work. So if you had a big cart, you couldn't generate a shipping rate, but I was like, whatever, I'll get to that you know, if that ever happens. We took the password off. I was like, it's now available in the US. (laughs) Um, And then the next day we had 45,000 visitors to the US site and the bags rolled out in about a week. So wow, that was amazing for something that was completely free and took us like two minutes to create. And there's your US launch, which so many brands spend tens of thousands of dollars doing and you've just organically done it on TikTok. (laughs) Yeah. TikTok is crazy. And when it works, it just works so, so well. Yeah. How do you, okay. So obviously after a video goes viral like that, you're probably deconstructing 
every little thing, trying to figure out like what was special about it and how do you replicate it? Looking back at it, what do you think made that video hit? Yeah, there are so many, there are little aspects of the video that I'm like, okay, let's try this again and see whether that works. So taking really trendy things like the girls that get it, get it, like really leaning into those like sounds with words in them. It's probably yeah. a better way to describe that, but yeah, um, like using a lot more of them and see if that works. Um, I think the thing with this video though was the actual sound of me slapping the bag, mm. which was very satisfying. And, you know, there were a lot of comments that were like, oh, the way you slapped that first bag, like it didn't deserve that. It was something like that. And then I also think the other aspect of it was, I mean, one thing that's really popular in TikTok at the moment is that girl aesthetic. So people love Glossier, people love the the Laneige lip balm, um, mm-hmm. like those really trendy products. And I think it was because I was placing those products into the makeup bag. Interesting. Having those like-minded products like in, or, you know, the adjacent products like with yours can actually help you lean into their brand cred a little bit. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, now every time we do um, a video of us filling up a makeup bag, we always take into consideration like the actual look and feel of the products that we're placing in there. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So how often are you posting now on TikTok? I would love to say I'm posting more than we are. Like the team is still so lean. So pretty much I'm still doing everything and I find myself Mm -hmm. having to work a lot more on like the back end and the operations of the business. So I don't get to post as much as I would like, but in the kind of prime days, we were posting maybe twice a day on TikTok and then also once or twice a day on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. And you've built a bit of a following for yourself on TikTok as well. Does that generate sales for the business? Like how does that all tie in? Yeah, I don't think that's a humongous top of funnel like lead, but I do think for anyone who like like kind of knows a twelve, I think it really increases brand loyalty and brand strength. And I have seen some comments come through in my personal TikTok that are like, "Oh my gosh, love your journey. Have always thought about buying something. Mm-hmm. Definitely will now." Yeah. Okay. So I think it just increases brand strength. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting and good to know. So I want to talk a little bit more about this US move and how that's kind of shifted the business. You're, you know, you'd reached like a pretty sizable business in Australia and, but the US is a completely different landscape. You also like upended your life and moved here. Yeah. How has that kind of changed the structure of the business and what were some of the things that you had to put into place to be able to expand internationally? Wow, so many questions. I don't even know where to start. (laughs) Yeah, so I moved to New York in December for the launch of the US business. I wanted to be here so that I could gauge how people shop, you know, how they, like what they like to shop. So we could be friends and we could hang out and work together. (laughs) Exactly. So I could meet you. And I just think there were like a, a lot more opportunities that could have come if I was physically here and like meeting people. In terms of what to put in place before I moved here, I just wanted to ensure that the a, the Australian business could operate and not fall over if I wasn't physically there. And for a long time, it couldn't. I remember yeah. thinking, you know, if I'm not on my computer every single day, this business cannot run, like things will break and stop. So that was the first step. So we put in place, you know, things like a warehouse management system, like barcode scanners, someone in customer support who could fill out if, if I was asleep over here and yeah, making sure that that could just run without me. 
I think that's the main thing that we had to put into place before I moved over here. Yeah. How did you learn how to make those changes? Did Was somebody in your warehouse saying, this is what we've done? Did you speak to other founders? Was it Google? Like, how did you bridge that knowledge? Yeah, that piece was actually something that I really struggled with. And I reached out to the old head of logistics or warehouse manager um, at Shopo mm. for help. And I asked him, you know, how, because I had no idea what a warehouse management system was. I had no idea. Yeah you know, that it includes barcode scanners. I had no idea, you know, how it all flows through. So I got his help to um, give me advice on like what warehouse management system to use and how to actually implement it. So he was a huge um, assistance in, in that process. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like people need to be less afraid to reach out to folks who have that expertise and just ask them for their advice and insights. Cause people are pretty forthcoming if you reach out to them. Yeah, I'm so shameless with that. And I think when I reached out, he was actually so open to helping me. Um, and, you know, he was like, oh, it's actually nice to receive a LinkedIn DM from someone who's not trying to sell me something. Totally. Oh my God, I hard relate with that. <laughs> hard relate with that. Oh my goodness. Okay, so the last question that I ask everyone on the show, it's for a resource and that could be a book, a podcast, something that's kind of helped you as you've been building this business as a founder, as a person that you recommend other people engage with. Okay. Recently, I would definitely have to recommend the Mindset Mentor podcast. And Mm. I recommended it um, to a lot of close friends at the moment who are maybe just going through a lot of like life changes, which I've definitely experienced in in the past few months. And I think it's something that I listen to. I think it's about 20 to 30 minutes every single morning. And I just find that it really grounds me and calms me down um, and also motivates me at the same time. So big recommend for for any other founders out there. Okay, great. I'm going to download that. I hadn't heard that one before on the list. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show and for telling us about how you've been building Etoile Collective. It's awesome to hear about all the success that you guys are having. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening. Please remember to drop us a five-star review or if you're feeling like you really loved that episode, take a screenshot, share us. To Instagram stories. We are at Female Founder World. I'm at Jasmine Garnsworthy and we'll be sure to repost and say thank you and just generally you'll make our day. So pay it forward. All right. I'll chat to you next time. Bye.